ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome inside another edition of Nosebleeds, WFUV's baseball podcast. A great crew on hand today. I'm Sam Davis along with Thomas Quigley and Ryan Gregware. ton of New York uh, baseball to get into, of course. We're going to talk. We're going to start with the Yankees, then we'll do Mets. We wanted to start with a positive. I spent a weekend watching the Mets play baseball, and after the game on Sunday, I, I need to have something positive, mm-hmm. even if it's the New York Yankees. I'll, I'll take it as now to talk at least something positive for them. And then, uh, of course, we're going to preview the AL East, an exciting division that's going to be very close down the stretch. But, Ryan, I, I can imagine you're pretty happy from taking two out of three from the White Sox, but I, I'm sure the Yankees don't completely control your mood every day. So, in general, how are you doing today? That would be incorrect, Sam. So I'm doing great, obviously. It's a great time <laughs> to be a Yankee fan. And that usually always, I would say, coincides with my emotions. Whether that's healthy, that's a whole nother story. That could be a whole podcast in its own right. But from that side of things, I'm doing good. Yankees are playing some good baseball. Huge week coming ahead for them. Huge week for me as well, being the Yankee fan I am. And Quiggs, the, the Red Sox had a good series, too. I mean, I know it's the Orioles, but it, to, to sweep them and get back on track, that's big. And we're going to talk about the Red Sox-Yankees series coming up, so that's huge. But I'm sure you're feeling pretty uh, pretty good as well. Yeah, I mean, last week was was tough. And so the last few weeks, obviously, um, from you know riding the high of being the absolute underdog of the AL East to just cruising through the division the entire year. And then the recent struggles have been really, really tough on my morale. But, um, you know, like you said before we started this podcast, everybody should just play the Orioles in a three-game set. It'll boost your mood no matter what. Uh, And that's what happened. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to start with the New York Yankees, who on Thursday, it was an incredible Field of Dreams game. It's been talked about a lot. Um, And a great game it was. And it looked like the Yankees were on their way to winning that ball game, of course, with big homers from Stanton and Judge. And then things happened, and all of a sudden, Tim Anderson hits a walk-off. Incredible game. But the Yankees responded, and they found a way on Saturday and Sunday to win back-to-back games, win the series against a really good White Sox team. And to me, that's something in the past, maybe pre-deadline New York Yankees, they don't win that series, to be honest, especially after a crushing game, crushing defeat on Thursday. They bounced back one, two out of three. Ryan, I'm going to start with you here. What are your general takeaways uh, from the series against the White Sox? Yeah, I love that you uh, made that thing that, you know, that statement that they probably don't win this game pre-deadline. And before I get into this series, I just want to talk about the Royals series really quick. Mm-hmm. Taking two and three, and in that first game of this series, this was, uh, we have not done an episode since this game. Uh, the Yankees beat the Royals in extra innings Monday. They blew four saves in the game. Seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth innings, they blew leads. And so if you want to talk about a pre-deadline Yankees team, that team certainly doesn't win that game Monday. You know, the way that they collapse, historic collapse is everything. So to take two or three from the Royals, not a great team. You did what you had to do, frankly, if you're expected to do that. But, yeah, to take two or three from the White Sox after losing the Field of Dreams game, you know, you said it looked like they're on their way to winning it. It looked they were on their way to losing it for eight and a half innings. Great comeback at the end. You know, you have to give Stanton and Judge a ton of credit. People rip Stanton all the time to come through in that spot was awesome. 
it was a temporary high though. Obviously I'll, I'll admit, I never gave myself a full 100% chance to enjoy myself because Zach Britton, who, you know, he's really killed the Yankees. He really has, has the highest ERA on the team, 6-1. He blew the save, obviously, as we know, Tim Anderson walk up. Feel the he dream came to Boone after and said he didn't even want to save games anymore. I mean, that's, yeah. that's I'm, I haven't heard something like that ever, really. And you know what? I commend him for that. He's the, yeah. he's the voice of the locker room in terms of the PA and the legality situation. And so to, to admit that you clearly don't have it, I, I do respect that, especially – when he's been like, he's had seasons where he was the best reliever in baseball. So, you know, his fall from grace has really hurt. This was the game though, where like you, it's magnified obviously. And just the field of dreams overall, I think we should probably give it a little, you know, you know, credit to major league baseball here. I feel like it's very rare that we're giving them credit for something. It's usually right. That they're taking away from the game, hurting the sport, hurting the young fans. And this was a really cool experience. I'll admit like flat out, I've never seen field of dreams. You know, wow. I was trying to trying to get around to it before this game, but I didn't. And so while, you know, I didn't really understand all the references and stuff, I was all in because it was baseball. It was cornfield. So that was awesome. But obviously losing the game did sting. But yeah, to take two of three, we'll get more into it now. You just have to feel great against a really good White Sox team. Yeah, I mean, on the point of the Zach Britton thing, I think those comments are actually bad for a team. I don't think you should ever admit that you're not fully able to compete even if it's like all right you could admit that to your team say hey don't put me out there in that situation because i'm not feeling 100 percent me right now but don't say that to everyone else don't say that to your your competitors because they're gonna eat that up they're gonna want to face you now and they're gonna say oh this guy doesn't have any confidence out there let's put up five on him when he, and whenever he, they put him in so other than that i do think the field of dreams game was an absolute success i don't think anybody has had negative comments on it uh, and I think it's a hundred percent. I mean, like it's not a hundred percent. I think 50% of it was that it was a really, really good game. And a lot of people were saying, Oh my God, is this scripted? And obviously yeah. it's impossible to script a baseball game, but it, it seemed, seemed like, like it at times because yeah. what was there four, six home runs, eight home runs. There was eight total home runs, right? I just jumped through like three different even numbers right there, but there was eight total home runs, I believe. <laughs> I'm going to blame you. I don't remember. So I'm going to blame Every time you see a ball go into a cornfield, it is a magical sight. Uh, so that was awesome. The way that it ended on a walk-off was awesome. Obviously, if you're a Yankee fan, you're not happy with the result at all, but to go from seven that, or down 7-3 early, I think, you know, one, I think it was kind of a morale booster that they did have another comeback, even though they lost in the end. Um, and I did not expect them to bounce back as well as they did against the White Sox in the next two games because, you know, that's really difficult to just like organize an entire comeback like that, end up losing in a heartbreaking fashion, and then go back to the team's actual home stadium and take two from them. This is a really, a, a really good series for the Yankees, a great bounce back series win and kind of exactly what they needed headed into the series against the Red Sox and the Rocks. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it right in the head. The, the White Sox are a very good team. They're one of the best teams in the American League. So the fact that they took two out of three was huge. Um, briefly on the Field of Dreams game, I mean, I loved it. I've only seen the movie like once or twice. So, uh, you know, I'm not like a, you know, I haven't seen it so many times. Like it seems like almost everyone has, but um, still it was a really incredible game uh, and incredible moments before the game. And then the game itself was great too. But moving on to the rest of the series, I think um, I talked a little bit and I previewed it about the, the, you know, the pre-deadline versus the post-deadline Yankees. And I just want to hit on that for a second because this series I think shows a lot 
And the consistency that they've shown in winning series says a lot about how much this team has changed. And it's not just Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, although they have helped. They have certainly helped very much. I mean, Rizzo right now on the COVID IL, but Joey Gallo this weekend certainly pulled his own and Rizzo did so in the past when he was playing. So both those guys have helped, don't get me wrong, but it's also like we talked about when the trade first went down is regulars, guys like Aaron Judge, guys like Giancarlo Stanton, stepping up and, and really being the guys they were supposed to be all year. And they've shown flashes at times, but to be more consistent and really produce and hit some big time home runs, especially Judge this weekend, that's huge for this Yankees team. And I think that shows just kind of the confidence they have because baseball, and it sounds kind of corny, but I mean, baseball really is such a mental sport and, and it's all about momentum. And when your your front office trusts in you and goes out and gets two big names like Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, it does wonders and it's shown how much it's affected this clubhouse, how confident they are. And it's just really night and day between earlier in the year when it seemed like they would have really highs, but then really lows and they wouldn't be able to kind of piece it together and be consistent. Now they're winning series after series. And the White Sox series, especially a good team that they're able to take two out of three on three from. I think that really shows a lot about just the mindset that this team has. And and then you could look at the on the field. I mean, Tyone and Nestor Cortez this weekend were tremendous. The pitching staff has been tremendous. We talked about the bullpen. The bullpen's been um, shaky, uh, to say the least. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. But, you know, credit does uh, – you got to give a ton of credit to, to the starting pitching and everything they've done. Keeping this team afloat when uh, the offense and the lineup was not producing, and then now the lineup is producing, and, and they're still – uh, really going after it. Tyone's had an unbelievable month or month and a half or so. So tons of credit to them. And, and I think, yeah, it's setting up for a huge Red Sox Yankees series in a couple of days. Yeah. You brought up Aaron judge, nine RBIs in this series, all in the first two games. And you can just tell with him, he's feeling that swagger. He's yeah. feeling that confidence. He's going at people on Twitter who are criticizing his base running. He said after, I think it was Saturday's game. He went three for four with a walk and four RBIs. He, he said he's still not locked in, and they're like, how could you say that? You have three home runs the last two days. He's like, because I got out today. So you can just sense with him he has that swagger. He has that confidence. He's obviously the face of this team, so when he has it, it rubs off on everyone else. And you can just see it, the facial expressions, the post-game comments, and that is something that is very different. The, the feebleness is completely gone with this team at least. I don't know if we can say that for the other New York team, but it's, it's good to see that like they could shrug off losses like they are nothing because – if you look at retrospect, that Field of Dreams game, it was like maybe their ninth, like most crushing loss all year. But for any other team, that's a devastating game. Everyone's watching, right? This is the most viewed baseball game regular season in 15 years. And to just shrug it off and take the next two versus Chicago team. And even in that, you know, in Saturday's game, Judge hits the go-ahead homer off Craig Kimbrell in the eighth. They're one strike away, two outs, two strikes. Chad Green serves up the home run to Jose Abreu. So you're looking at, okay, is this two straight devastating blown saves? And then they're able to fight back in the 10th, Judge RBI single, Joey Gallo two-homer game. They're able to finally close that one. Zach Britton started that inning. Again, as you know, Quig said, maybe teams are feeding off his that postgame comment because he did not have it. He walked like two, gave up a few more hits, but they weren't able to seal the deal. And I think that's what is important because you're going to have stretches where the bullpen is not great. And the Yankees clearly have one, especially like, with what the Yankees bullpen had been this year, because I think for the first two and a half months when they were, you know, dancing around that 500, it was all the bullpen overperforming. 
but now it's kind of leveling out. You're getting timely clutch hits and you're getting great starting pitching. So you're able to kind of weather the storm a little bit with the bullpen and still take two of three versus the White Sox, who like this is a team that on paper is probably just as talented as the Yankees. Uh, maybe the lineup doesn't have as much firepower top to bottom, but the Yankees have been underperforming all year. And so they're five and one against the White Sox on the year. They swept them earlier in the Bronx. And it does give you a lot of confidence that the Yankees can hang with the best in the AL for sure. Because, you know, this recent stretch where the Yankees are getting hot, it was against a lot of bad teams, but this is not a bad team. This is a playoff team. They will be there at the end of the day. So there's like nothing but positive vibes, even after that field of dreams, you know, loss. Yeah, this is hundred percent a different team after the deadline than it was before from a results standpoint, because you know, there's still the cardiac Yankees. They're still, even when they have a lead, it always looks like they're going to blow it. And that's what happened all three games this, yep. this series. They actually did blow it in the first one, of course, the field of dreams. Um, but yeah, Saturday, obviously they let the White Sox tie it in the ninth and they had to win it in extras. And then even in Sunday, yesterday, they ended up having the tying run either at the plate or on base. I forget, base, but yeah. yeah, so that's, you know, it's always a nail biter with this team. But um, the fact that they're actually coming through and winning these games is because they're able to build a large enough lead. And that just wasn't a thing before the deadline. For some reason, this offense has clicked a ton. And that, you know, could be in part because of Anthony Rizzo. Obviously, he was a huge um, electricity uh, or huge just like lightning bolt. As soon as he entered the lineup, now he's been gone for the past week and a half. But even without him, that, that momentum is still there and they're still producing offensively. And one more thing about Aaron judge, the MVP of the series far and away had a 2.142 OPS during the series. So obviously he completely carried this team, even though they're all really starting to produce offensively. So um, this, it's a very different Yankees team. And it's the reason why, you know, Greg is excited. Uh, and I'm a little bit nervous going into the series against, <laughs> against the Yankees. Yeah, I'm with you, Craig. I'm a little nervous, too, coming up to that series. We're going to talk about that later in the show. But, uh, you know, you also mentioned, uh, you know, Rizzo being on the I.L. We mentioned that there's a lot of Yankees players out right now, too, and the fact that they're still producing and finding ways to win. I mean, Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery will be back. That will be huge. Um, that will be really important. Cole, Garrett Cole's pitching uh, Monday night. Probably be gone by the time uh, this, this episode gets out. But, uh um, and then Montgomery as well will be pitching during the Red Sox series, it looks like. And then even, you know, Glaber Torres out, uh, Gary, Gary Sanchez out, plenty of guys out of this lineup, and they're still finding a way to win. I mean, that just shows, I think, the confidence and the different energy that this team has. Ryan, before we get over to the Mets, I just want to ask you one, one quick question. You mentioned the bullpen and how they've been better at times and, and have gone through a rough stretch right now. Are you worried about that come October, when the, if the Yankees get there even, but because, I mean, bullpens are certainly a huge key uh, to success in the playoffs. So is that a concern for you? Is that the biggest concern for you going forward with this Yankees team? It's actually not. It still is the offense. The bullpen, I mean, like, it's been bad of late, but you also have to kind of look in the mirror here, look towards the future a little bit. The bullpen is going to get a lot more help coming in. You're going to get Clay Holmes back from COVID. Aroldis Chapman, he'll be back. And I know, like, he's faltered before, but you still want him closing these games, especially – when you're forced to go to a Zach Britton, if like a Jonathan Lewis gets pitched too straight, you want a roll of Chapman in the playoffs. I don't want to hear anything else. And also, like if you look at this rotation, there's going to be some odd men out. Nestor Cortez is a guy that we have to, I think, give credit before this episode's over. Yeah. He's a 2-5 ERA this season in 50 innings. 
And he showed up in the hugest spots, too. You remember, like, the lowest of lows this season for the Yankees came July 4th. They blow the save, game one versus the Mets. He comes out with three shutout innings, I think. He's built up. He's stretched out now. Six innings, one run versus the White Sox. He did that same thing versus the Rays. Astros, he also pitched really well against. These are three potent offenses. And so for him, he might be a guy that has to go to the bullpen because you're going to have guaranteed in the rotation, Garrett Cole, Tyone, Montgomery, and then you probably only go with the four-man in the in the playoffs. This is a very, you know, look down the line here. But if Severino's back, Kluber, you know, um, Cortez, Herman, these Luis Heel, who has not given up a run in his first two, and he starts, you guys will see him when he pitches game one in the doubleheader. These are all guys that are going to have to go to the bullpen. That's going to supplement it, plus the guys that are on the IL, and plus with the track record with the Yankees, right? Chad Green, and we'll get it together. Zach Britton, I'm not sure, but you can hide him a little bit more here. Yeah. Um, so the bullpen, it's still the offense. You're still, I think, like 20th in runs scored this year. Runners in scoring position still wasn't great in that last game versus the White Sox. You know, they got some nice insurance in the ninth, but in the first eight innings, they ended it with runners in scoring position, not getting them home. So it's still going to come down to timely hits from the offense. I think that's the Yankees' bread and butter. The pitching has overperformed. The bullpen has been, I think, it's probably evened out now. But no, it's a, it's a good question, though, honestly. I think different depending on who you ask, it'll be a different answer. But for me, it still is the offense that's going to have to kind of carry them if they even get to that far. Let's like, I don't want to preview too much here, but yeah. the offense will need to slug their way to some wins. Yeah, we can't get ahead of ourselves. There's no definite here for any team really in the AL East right now. It's going to be a battle. We'll get to the into that in a little bit. You mentioned runners in scoring position. That is <laughs> the perfect segue right to, uh, to the New York Mets, who I'm, I'm just going to start here. You know, this is not usual. Normally, the A host will, you know, send it to somebody else. But I was there all weekend and, um, you know, covering the team uh, with WFUV. And Friday and Saturday, I mean, first of all, outside of the games themselves, it was really an incredible atmosphere, especially Friday, Saturday. Felt really like a playoff atmosphere, especially having a team like the Dodgers there. Uh, That was really cool. And then come game time on Friday and Saturday, you can say what you want. I mean, the Mets did not produced with runners in scoring position, something they didn't do all weekend. Um, and, but on Friday, they showed some fight down four to nothing, coming back, tying the game. It looked like they were going to go ahead and win that game. And then, of course, they couldn't produce anything after those four runs, after that one beginning. They lose that one. Okay, move on to, to Saturday, facing Walker Buehler. They only get a run across, which, I mean, I don't know how much you blame the Mets offense, how much you blame, you know, obviously Walker Buehler, an incredible pitcher, but uh, they lose that one as well, also in extra innings, back-to-back tough losses. But the games did show that the, the Mets were, could hang around with the Dodgers, one of the best teams in baseball. That's what Friday and Saturday showed. Sunday showed the Mets as a 500 baseball team at best. Uh, they got blown out in that game 14-4, to and it was just miserable from the jump. Carrasco didn't have it 6 nothing early. And if and I, I talked about this in my post-game report on Sunday. The Mets made it worse because they had chances to get back in this game. They really did on Sunday. I know 6 nothing is a pretty big deficit, but they were 0-10 for 10 with runners in scoring position in four innings. Uh, and the Dodgers also had an error and two like mental mistakes in the infield that don't count as errors on the scorecard, but they are basically errors that giving the Mets a chance to come back in the game, which you don't normally get from a team as good as the Dodgers. And the Mets couldn't take advantage of it. They really couldn't. And, and they continue to, it was Max Scherzer on the mound, another great pitcher, and they were getting on base. They were putting the ball in play. They had some hit. I think they had six, seven hits in the game. 
which isn't bad against a, a guy like Scherzer in six, seven innings. But they can't do anything with runners in scoring position. They had runners on third base in the first, second, and third innings, and they could not get him home. And, and that just kind of shows to me uh, the, the issue here with the Mets. And, and the one thing I will say is that earlier in the year, the pitching was was definitely far and away the best part of this team and was really carrying them and, and kind of almost hiding this offense. And because you had DeGrom going out there and giving you seven innings of one run or no run or shutout baseball, and you can win the game two to one, uh, especially when the division was really underperforming at that time. They're still not 100%, but the Phillies and Braves are playing better now. And the Mets don't have a guy like DeGrom. Carrasco has been struggling. They're, they're, the pitching staff has still been really, really good, to be honest. You know, Taiwan Walker had a great start this weekend. Marcus Stroman's been really good. Tyler McGill is a rookie. He's been really good for them. So they have, you know, most people would consider that a really good rotation or at least a, a pretty good rotation, but it's not excellent. So then the Mets offense, which has been subpar all year, uh, to put it lightly, they can't hide. It, it can't go anywhere. And, and that showed this weekend, especially on Sunday, two for 29 with runners in scoring position uh, all weekend. That just kind of sums up uh, the issues for the Mets here, I think. Yeah, I went to, uh, when I was doing my research, I saw that, and I immediately had to double check. Was yeah. it two for 19? Was I looking wrong? I mean, that's just, it's really Even bad. two for 19 is bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, like, this is the first time all year, even last show, like, I was on it after they got swept by the Phillies. I thought, you know, they're going to be maybe not fine. They're, they're going to have a shot here. And it's, I know they're in the same place as they were a week ago, third and two and a half out, I believe is what they are now, yeah. which is exactly, I think, where they were coming off the sweep of the Phillies. But this is the first time all year where I'm just not, I'm, I'm really, I don't think, I don't think it's the year that they're going to make the playoffs. And I think when you look at back at it, you're going to be really, really stubborn and real. It's going to be a really unfortunate thing because this was a wasted year. You talk about the plan in place. They had this division if they wanted it. The Phillies bullpen was like historically bad. The Braves, a million injuries, million. I know the Mets did too, but underperformed all year. They weren't 500 until like a week ago for the first time all season. And you had a two-month stretch where you went 33 and 38. And even if you just flipped that, you'd probably be up six games right now. Yeah. So like to, to, to see it squander, really unfortunate. Um, at the deadline too, you know, Zach Scott, like I, were you at the press conference where he admitted they played mediocre baseball? Uh, I was not there, but obviously I saw it. And that, yeah, that, that shocked me. That frustrated me a lot because we all have got on him and rightfully so for the lack of hell. He knew about Jacob DeGrom's injury. He knew that it wasn't going to be something that would be solved like that. I mean, sure, he didn't know he'd be out this long, but he knew he was going to be out. They didn't get any pitching help. And, I mean, pitching is the problem here, but we talked about with the Yankees. Sorry to cut you off, Ryan. But no, we talked about it. with the Yankees. The deadline can change everything. We've seen teams get better at the deadline, and it changes their mentality. It makes them a lot more confident, and they can get on a roll. Baseball's all about momentum. When when you get Javi Baez, who I mean, sure he maybe provided a little spark right away, but now he's on the IL. They got nobody else. They're playing deflated because of that. They didn't get the help that they really needed that could have carried them through a difficult stretch. Yeah, it's almost like Zach Scott is the acting general manager and not the general manager because, like, his inexperience has really shown here the last few weeks. And to flat out admit that the team's playing mediocre and not improving, um, you know, Carlos Carrasco, the spin zone that some made was, oh, well, he's your deadline acquisition. 
That never works out. He is a 10 ERA in four games, got shelled, took a beating, you know, last night. And for to forever, you know, rely on guys that are hurt, I think it's crazy. I really do. It, it just never really turns out that way. You have to go outside the organization. I know Javi Baez now on the IL, but even him, he has a 268 on base percentage in his last 160 games. Like that's not, I know he's electric. I know he hits homers and everything, but that was never a move that I think could be your solo move and, and be confident. Yeah. And it really has shown. If you look at who was aggressive, the Braves went out. Jorge Soler was a bat. They got at the deadline. He is in 1,030 OPS with the Braves. Yep. The Phillies went out. They got some pitching. They're right in this thing too. And to just squander on that, I think it's unacceptable for the Mets. Um, you know, it's Rojas said after the game, like, we got to turn the page just one game. That's a story I heard a million times this year, whether it's the Yankees or Mets. But it's not just one game. This isn't an isolated series for the Mets. This has been kind of what's been coming. And you've looked ahead of this stretch where we're three games into the 13 gauntlet series versus the Giants and Dodgers, two of the best teams in baseball. And, and I know that they were in the first two games. They're not able to get the big hit. That's going to catch up to you because you're probably not as talented as them. So when you have chances and extras or the playing field, even you have to capitalize. So this was really the series where me, I don't know about you. I've like, almost I've pretty much given up on the I know the standings you can still justify that it's not over and you're going to be able to do that for a while the math will be in your favor I think for a little bit here but there's no reason when you watch this team to expect them to be a playoff team there's just not Quiggs real quick before you jump in I know you have a lot to say as well sorry I just wanted to say like this is like this series and the scenario the Mets are in right now is just such a Mets thing I mean I haven't been like a Mets fan or I haven't really followed this team too much I mean you know, I report on them now, so obviously I root for them. But to me, what it seems like is the Mets just keep kind of, it's not fully out of it. Like I, a lot of fans haven't fully lost hope because the division is bad still, and they're still just two and a half back. And at times this series, they show that they could beat the Dodgers. So there's that combined with 14 to four losses and just like absolute terribleness. And it just makes, it's, it's, it's even more frustrating. It's not like you can just fully count them out because, the division is still not out of reach. It, it can't be called that, especially this early. Well, certainly after this 12 straight game stretch against the Dodgers and the Giants, we might be able to call the season one way or another. Um, probably not the other way. But anyway, um, I think that this Mets team kind of had a ceiling this entire year. I mean, their offense has just always struggled. Getting Javi Baez is obviously – an offensive upgrade, but you know, when you have you, who was supposed Francisco Lindor, who was supposed to be your big signing that was going to take you from like, all right, a me, very mediocre team to a playoff team that clearly didn't work out. Now he's injured. Now bias is injured and the team obviously cannot score. And that's a huge issue and has been an issue for the entire season. So could they have got gone out and gotten like three big bats in the lineup? Maybe, but at the same time, you got to, look forward this is the first year under new ownership and it's finally an owner who actually wants to spend money on the team he wants this team to win and win for the long term not just the short term the Wilpons were very very complacent about 2015 they're like all right we made it to the world series we don't have to really change this team we don't have to make this team better so that we actually win it we got there we're gonna have people in the seats every night it doesn't matter we're gonna get our money now you have an owner who wants to win. It's only his first year. He's already made signings, big splashes, like those two players I mentioned. And I feel like that's 
only there's only going to be more to come, especially after the season where the bats that were supposed to be producing have not produced. Um, and you know, it's it, it's it, it's always as a fan you'd want your team to always compete and to go all out in each season that you play. But this season for the Mets, although it was very, it's a very, I don't know, it's misleading that they were in first place for as long as they were because they aren't a good team. They aren't a great team. They're certainly not a great team. They are an all right team and have been all season. They're just in a really bad division. And now that their division's finally catching up with them, you're starting to see those flaws. And you, but they were there all season. So I don't know. I don't think that they necessarily should have gone out, gone all in. On, and at this trade deadline, considering how even if they had a few more bats and they had enough to win the division, um, they weren't really going to get anywhere in the playoffs, which w- with this extremely stacked National League where you have three World Series contenders in one division out West. So on that point, I don't think that the Mets should have gone all in. I think that, I mean, uh, obviously, like, it's not great when you have you're in first place all year and then after the deadline you fall out and now it's kind of all right code your it's code red everywhere for all Mets fans especially going to this absolute nightmare stretch against the Dodgers and the Giants in which the worst pitcher that they face the worst starter is David Price who is a Cy Young winner and former first overall pick so that's a terrible terrible omen for what they will, ha- will have to face these upcoming weeks but. I think you just got to try and hope that you go 500 in the stretch because the Braves upcoming schedule is much easier. They're facing the Marlins, the Orioles, yeah. Yankees and Giants as well. And then the Phillies upcoming schedule, they play the D-backs seven times. So chalk that up as five or six wins because the D-backs are terrible when they're not throwing no hitters. And they have Padres for two games and then Tampa in between. Their, their, their main opponents have a lot easier schedule. The Mets just have to kind of avoid sinking here and just try to tread water. Because if you go three and nine in this upcoming stretch, you're eight games back and then your season is over. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's going to be a tough stretch for the Mets ahead, but the way that they were able to compete to compete with the Dodgers in the first two games gives me a little bit of hope that maybe if the pitching stays strong. If the offense slightly wakes up because they are basically hibernating at this point, then maybe, maybe they have a chance to just keep their season going uh, and not, you know, just call it quits after going three and nine in this upcoming stretch. Yeah, I mean, that was like the the conversation for this big stretch. It was it wasn't about going out and sweeping the Dodgers, or it wasn't even about winning the series. Even it's really just taking a game uh, from each series, or taking maybe one or two, like in a four game set, splitting the series, and then for this past Dodgers series, at least winning one game. They didn't have to go out and win two or three. That wasn't really what was expected of them as a team that is just not as talented as the Dodgers um and that's why those Friday and Saturday games were so frustrating and that's what made Sunday even more frustrating because I think if the Mets did win one of those two you know we we might be talking about something very different with this Mets team like okay if they can win you know one or two from the Giants and then one or two from the Dodgers stay afloat like you talked about I don't think I mean the Phillies and Braves have an easy schedule coming up but I would still be surprised if either of them fully runs away with the division because they haven't proved for long enough that they are a good team, uh, kind of like we talked about with the Mets at times. So even with the easy schedule, I mean, they very well could pull away, but I would be kind of surprised if that happens. So if the Mets do find a way to, you know, wake up those bats, and, and they have, I mean, 
that's the thing is like the bats aren't fully quiet and there are guys in the lineup that are producing still like like Brandon Nimmo has been great at the top of the order and he's been producing Michael Conforto is getting high and he, he was terrible earlier but he's really hitting well right now so there are guys in the lineup that are getting their hits and getting on base it's just the big hit hasn't come it didn't come all series and maybe that'll change I don't know I don't really have any faith that it will because I watched three baseball games where it didn't happen so there's no reason for me to think that it's going to happen against an even better Giants team uh, this coming week. But if they do find a way to tread water, you're looking at a division that's still kind of within reach for the Mets, which puts them in, I mean, a, a decent spot, I guess. And then come September, you know, Syndergaard will be back. And, and originally he was going to slide probably into the bullpen. I'm not sure if they're still going to do that or if they're going to get him started. And then maybe Lindor and Baez do come back. They should come back around the similar time, around the beginning of September. So if all those things line up and they're still in contention in September, maybe, you know, they find a way to get back up in first place. But I'm starting to lose hope at that idea for sure. Yeah, um, I really don't have a ton more to say about the Mets. Just one thing that I think Rojas is, I see some flack and I see this being like an LOL Mets thing on Twitter about the Carlos Carrasco at bat, you know, in the second inning, he hits and then he doesn't pitch in the third. And you see a lot of people like, Oh, you know, what's this manager doing? I actually agree with that move. You're down six, nothing. Do you waste one of your, you have a four man bench. bench, You waste it at six, nothing. Or do you try to like, you have to keep the bench intact. You're going to have to use them later in the game. I'm in favor of honestly letting him get that at bat and letting your offense maybe get back into it. And then in a bigger spot, you have your best bats available. Now we know the Mets never did that and the game got way out of hand anyway. And also just the DH in total should be universal. Like this scenario shouldn't even pop up, but I do want to, I do think that that was something I saw a lot of people criticizing of Roas. And I think that was the right decision there. Really the only, I guess, defense I can do of him is of late because I don't know. I I, like, I don't want to project too far down the line here, but I can't see him being back if they don't win this division. I don't know about you, Sam, but it just, it's trending like it would be kind of a complete overhaul in the front office and obviously in the field. Yeah, I agree. Uh, First of all, on that move too, like I didn't understand it. And he explained it in the post game, like press conference, he mentioned how, you know, he was Carrasco did get the bunt down and moves runners to second and third for Nimmo, who has been the the Mets best hitter all year. So there are two outs, but like that also kind of makes sense. And I think pinch hitting Travis Blankenhorn in that spot isn't really going to do much uh, versus Carrasco dropping a bunt down. But with Rojas in general, I have mixed feelings. Um, I, I really do. He, he does have a really strong hold on the clubhouse and, and the guys really respect him. He's certainly a player's manager, but he's not winning games and it's a division that should be won. So that makes me think I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Cohen and the, the front office will want to go in a different direction. But I also think with Zach Scott, I don't, I don't think he's going to have a job anymore. And maybe Sandy Alderson will be gone too. I wouldn't be surprised if Cohen really makes a lot of moves this offseason and really changes things up because Zach Scott is playing as a manager, as a GM, kind of like an intern. Like you guys, like Ryan, you said, he doesn't seem fully like he's the right man for that job. And he doesn't fit with what Cohen wants, which is to win right away or, or at least win within the window of the next couple of years. And to me, Zach Scott just doesn't seem like the guy for the future for them. Rojas might not be either, but I think that's a little bit more difficult. Uh, of a of a move for Cohen to make because Rojas does 
has some redeemable qualities, especially in the clubhouse. Um, and he's certainly a player's manager, which can work, and we've seen it work. And that's my segue to Alex Cora and the Boston Red Sox player's manager for sure. We're going to talk about the ALEs here before we end the show. Uh, we've got a big Red Sox-Yankees matchup coming up this week. Uh, we're going to preview that. But first, I just want to look at, you know, I'll, I'll start here as well and just look at, uh, we talked about the Yankees, of course, but I want to look at the Rays and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, the other teams in the division that are still fighting. The Rays, uh, I think they've lost three of four, and they, they did win. Um, I believe they won on Sunday. Uh, I might be wrong there. But, no, they lost Sunday at a walk-off. Oh, they lost Sunday. No, they won yeah. Friday. I thought. Yeah, so they lost They lost two out of three to the Twins, um, which is mm-hmm. certainly uh, not a very good team at all this year. Um, that goes without saying. So that allowed the Red Sox to get, get within three games of the Rays for first place. The Red Sox, of course, uh, swept the Orioles. They had Chris Sale back, which is a huge deal uh, for the Fenway faithful. And I think Red Sox fans in general are really happy to see him back. They hope that he becomes and slides right back into that ace for this Boston staff to lead them going forward. And the Red Sox had a, certainly had a slide as of late, but they're right back in it, only to be back. And the Blue Jays also have, have kind of fell off. They've fallen back as well, uh, both in the wild card and in the division uh, over this past weekend. So interesting things here to look ahead to, a, uh, I think, what's setting up a real dogfight between what's going to be the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. I mean, you can throw the Blue Jays in there, and I think they have certainly tons of potential in that lineup. It's dangerous. Uh, the pitching, you know, Barrios leading that rotation certainly helped at the deadline, but they've been a little inconsistent. They've kind of f- fallen off. They've always been a little bit further back uh, than the other three teams I mentioned. I guess the Yankees, you know, now coming alive and playing better baseball now. So to me, I see the Yankees and Red Sox, and, and I know this is kind of an East Coast bias, but I think it's really true. These two teams are going to be the ones that are going to be battling it out for a playoff spot. For me, the Rays are a team that I would be shocked if they don't make the playoffs, whether that be winning the division or if they find a way to lose that division, at least making a wild card. But we've talked about it before. They win a ton of regular season games. They're very consistent. They find a way to win. Um, and I, I would be surprised if they don't make the playoffs. But with the Red Sox, a big series win, you know, obviously to sweep the Orioles is like essential, is really important, especially after a tough stretch. But you can't be fully confident in them, especially with the Yankees playing the way they are now. And that sets up a really important series uh, this week. It's uh, the Yankees have a game, a makeup game against the Angels Monday night. But after that, they'll have three against the Boston Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. It's a huge series. Um, and it's, it's going to, I think, show... What I think really is going to show is that the Yankees have played, uh, other than the White Sox, we kind of mentioned it, they've played some subpar teams at best. You know, the White Sox series was big to prove them that, you know, their recent stretch is sustainable against good teams. But now I think you're going to see where they really stand in the AL East, something that earlier in the year, you know, they got dominated by the Boston Red Sox throughout the season. And, and that, just kind of showed where they were. But now this Yankees team, I think we can all admit, it's a lot different. Uh, they, they have a lot of momentum and they're playing better baseball. So I'm really interested to see how they stack up now against the Boston Red Sox, who uh, you know have struggled a little bit lately, but are starting to turn things around. And the Yankees, who have been red hot as of late. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here you go, Clays. Okay. Yeah, I think this series is, if you're a Yankee fan, it's a little bit of cop- cautious excitement about this series because obviously if you can take 
two or three of these games against the Red Sox, that's huge in just spring you up in the standings, especially yeah. if the the, a, the Red Sox and A's are now basically tied for the wild card spot. I think maybe it's a half game, maybe they're tied. Um, and the Yankees are chasing both of them. But since it's the Red Sox, not only is it going to be an absolutely electric atmosphere as every Sox-Yankees game is, but there's so much on the line now. Yeah. And that wasn't the case for most of the season because the Yankees were always trailing pretty lengthily behind the Red Sox. Now, the Red Sox have been completely dominating of the series, the season series thus far. The Red Sox have won 10 of the 13 games they played against each other. But the last time the Red Sox went to Yankee Stadium, the Yankees took two of three. And right now the Red Sox are coming off a sweep of the Orioles, but that's like the easiest sweep possible in the MLB right now. So it's not saying much. I was going into this series saying if the, the Red Sox absolutely need to sweep the Orioles. And if they only took two out of three, I was going to be just as glum as I was last week. Thankfully they took all three. So they're setting themselves up. Um, now they're only three games back of the Rays. I don't know if they'll be able to catch them because the Red Sox have been playing so inconsistent, inconsistently lately, but it was great to see sale back on the mound. The Yankees are one of the hottest teams in baseball, if not the hottest. I'm worried. It's going to be a really fun series. I'm going to be covering it tomorrow night and then also going as a fan Wednesday night. Um, probably kind of taking my life in my own hands, wearing a Red Sox jersey to the bleachers, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a really, really fun series. And it could go a number of ways. It could send the Red Sox way up in the stands. It could make the Red, uh, it could secure the Red Sox wild card worries for a little bit, or it could just completely take them down three pegs and the Yankees could be in the lead of the wild card. They could be ahead of the A's by the end of the series. So there's a lot on the line. Um, and I think it's just going to be really fun baseball. Cautious excitement. I love that phrase. That's literally <laughs> exactly how I feel. Because if you look at it, like before the Red Sox swept the Orioles, they had lost uh, 11 of their last 14, completely free falling out of first place. I was looking at it like I was kind of more worried about the Blue Jays. I was treating the Red Sox, obviously, like I thought they would still be going on this downward. And while they still could be right, a sweep of the Orioles in retrospect doesn't really mean much. But, you know, to, to be going in winning three straight, it, it's like it's baseball. It's hard to do at the end of the day. So, obviously, you know, that's at least a little positive. But at the end, like the Yankees have been – they have the best record in baseball since July 4th. Um, and I know, like, the very recent, recent stretch has been a lot of bad teams. But in that stretch, that includes the Rays. That includes the Red Sox. That includes the Astros, White Sox. So, I don't think you can just say, like, this is their first real test. But this is certainly – a huge one because this is the first time all year you have a chance to flip the standings, right? All year it's been like, all right, cut it, cut, you can cut it in half here if you win three or four, or whatever. No, this is your chance where you can literally flip it completely. You can see yourself in a playoff spot for the first time since I think mid June. So this is that this is this series is why baseball is the best because like we're in the middle of August, really the only sport on Yankees, Red Sox, best rivalry in sports, in my bias opinion, obviously. Um, no, we're it, with you. We're with you. Yeah. We're all here with you. Well, obviously, <laughs> all of us are. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> Quigs, you're covering the one I'm not. I'm covering the other two. I think I'm going to a fan. I think I'll be a fan. The one you're covering as well. So ah. it'll be a big, a huge week. Um, obviously, the Angels game is important for the Yankees, but this AL East, it's really crazy. Um, from like July 4th to before last weekend, the Yankees had the best record in baseball. And we're one, they gained one game in the standings, yeah. one game over a month. And then in just the last weekend, they gained two. 
So, like, it's really been a frustrating, obviously, to see, you know, obviously the Yankees put themselves in that, in this position, no one to blame but themselves, but they haven't gotten any help across the board. I think that's one thing we knew. Um, we talk about this division. I, it's probably a three-man race, but I would confidently, like, put money on the Rays to win this thing. I think in the yeah. regular season, they are just a machine. Yeah. They need to really falter. The one thing I'll say is I don't know if the Red Sox have them again, but the Yankees have them the last series of the season. So, like, mathematically, theoretically, like, the Yankees really just need to get it to three games by that last series, and then anything can happen. Um, I don't know what the situation with the Red Sox is. I know from that perspective, though, the Yankees have the Red Sox here, and then just that last series, second to last series, they play the Red Sox. So, like, this is this is moving time because you can't control the Red Sox when they play the Orioles or tie or whoever they play, whoever bad team they play. But this is where you can really flip the standings. Um, it'll be Luis Heal making his third career start. Still has not given up an earned run. I feel like that will probably change. I don't know if he'll pitch badly. but And then in that second game, the doubleheader, Jordan Montgomery for the Yankees, his first start off the COVID IL. So, you know, the Red Sox, I think historically, they hit him kind of well. He's pitched well against them this year. But he has that COVID rust that's certainly a concern. And then Wednesday, you have Andrew Heaney going for the Yankees, who's given up, I think, like nine homers in 13 innings, has a nine ERA. So things like do look good from the Red Sox from that perspective. But the Yankees haven't been at full strength in three weeks now, and it hasn't played a role. So I think it's going to be fascinating on that end. And I know I'm going on a tangent here, but that's just the cautious excitement that I'm feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I think with this series, it's interesting because the Red Sox are playing uh, the Yankees at their best point of the season. And the Yankees are playing the Red Sox, maybe not at their worst, but coming off their worst. So so that'll be really interesting, I think, to, to show where we're at in the American League East who really has the edge? You know, we talked about the Rays kind of at the top, but this battle between the Red Sox and the Yankees, you cannot ask for any more. I mean, as as two Red Sox fans and the Yankees stand here, we are all super pumped for that series. And I'm jealous of you guys being able to be in there to either go as a fan or cover it. I'll be watching from my couch, but enjoying every minute of it. I think that's going to do it for nosebleeds. We've already went over, but that was bound to happen with these guys talking baseball. This is WFUV's baseball podcast. I'm Sam Davis. Thomas Quigley and Ryan Gregor, thank you for listening. Enjoy the baseball. Ah!